0: Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose, and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise,
1: Give us of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. Not so lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourself.
0: And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch, therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh.
1: We're starting a series of sermons today called Storyteller, Jesus many times told stories uh, that we understand to be parables. Now, if you were raised in the type of house that I was raised in, telling a story wasn't a good thing. Some of you remember that? Because telling a story was a lie. We didn't say that, but we said, you just told a story. Oh, you're not telling a story, are you? But obviously, Jesus taught by telling stories. Not all the time, some of the time. And what it's important to know about parables, and each time I, we teach on a parable and I say this, I have some people come up to me and say, I didn't, never knew that. Parables are made-up stories. They're fictional. It's a story that Jesus made up to make a point, to illustrate something. When I was an eight, nine-year-old kid in my dad's Methodist churches, I didn't hardly ever listen to anything he said except when he told a story because they were interesting to me at that age and he gave some type of illustration trying to show something, and he told a story, I would perk up and I would listen because people listen to stories. And Jesus, a master teacher, was a storyteller. And so for June and July, however many Sundays there are in June and July, we're going to be going through some of the parables of Jesus. There's over 40. But we're going to go through some of the parables of Jesus. And, and we get today to one that's in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. It's, it's called the, the parable of the ten virgins. Virgins doesn't mean any morality to that. It just meant an unmarried woman because there was a day and a time, imagine this, that when you were unmarried you were thought to be a virgin. But... <laughs> That's what they're, and that's why they're called that. And, but basically, they're bridesmaids. This is a wedding we're talking about. It's not like any wedding that you've ever understood. Wedding customs 2,000 years ago in Israel were completely different than wedding customs that we have today. And for instance, back 2,000 years ago in Israel, the groom and the groom's family paid for the wedding. Now, wouldn't some of you like that today? Um, uh, also, during the wedding, it lasted like a week. And you never knew when the groom came. It was kind of like this big game. The groom would come any time in that week that he wanted to, and so you had to wait for the groom to come. And when the groom uh, would come, someone would be out in front of him announcing that he would come. And, And those those bridesmaids, the ten virgins in our story, would go out to meet the bridegroom. So this is not a story, basically about the groom and the bride. It's a story about those bridesmaids and they're called uh, there's ten of them. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. It's in a series of parables that Jesus is teaching about his second coming. Now a lot of you probably know what the second coming is and maybe some of you don't. It's, it's the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. He'll return, the Bible teaches, in bodily form to this earth well, he will then execute the will of God for believers and for unbelievers and execute judgment as well. It's the second coming of Christ. And, and there's several parables right here in this context of, of Matthew chapter 24, 25, and 26 that speak to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we know this is what Jesus is talking about because he finishes this parable with Matthew 25, verse 13, and Jesus says, just like it was on the video, Jesus says, keep watch, be alert, Uh, stay vigilant, be ready, for no one knows the day or the hour. No one knows the day or the hour. And the whole story of of the ten uh, virgins were that some of them didn't have enough oil to go out and meet the bridegroom, and they had to go buy more oil. Others had extra oil because they had to wait. The bridegroom was delayed, and they had enough oil, and the other ones did not. And when they come back to the wedding, they are not allowed in. And then Jesus says, the capper of the whole story here, be ready. Keep watch. Be vigilant. You don't know when I'm going to come and so the point of this is the second coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ uh, we don't know when that's going to be if anybody ever asks you about when you think Jesus is coming there is one right answer to that and it was the answer that my dad used to always give he says it's one day closer than it was yesterday that's all we know that's all we know Okay, now I can always get an amen in a service if I say, well, you know, Jesus is coming soon. And somebody else, say, amen, amen, read the Bible, he's coming soon. I don't know if he's coming soon or not, depending on what your definition of soon is. If you read the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago seemed to think he was coming soon. Now, if the Apostle Paul missed it, we're probably going to miss it. To. The correct answer to that is it's one day sooner than it was yesterday. Okay? It could be this afternoon, it could be 2,000 more years. We don't know. And if anybody ever puts up charts and graphs, and anyone has ever figured all of that out, you know that they are not hearing from God because the Bible clearly says that no one knows the day or the hour. Bible clearly says even Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour. So you can go to all kinds of conferences and pay all kinds of money to hear all kinds of people with PhDs to say this and this and this, and they don't know what they're talking about. They don't. And my old dad, who didn't have any kind of education, has got it right. It's one day closer than it was yesterday. The Bible says that in that story, and in every story about the second coming of Christ in this list of parables here, um, there's a delay. And like, like here, the bridegroom was delayed. And, and it's not uncommon for all of us to think, well, I thought he'd be here by now. No, he's been delayed. Biblical people thought that. Paul would just be astonished today that I thought he was going to come You know, 2,000 years ago. The fact that he's delayed is not anything new. He even told us in these parables about the second coming, every time the bridegroom was coming, there was a delay. They had to wait a long time for them. So Jesus was trying to tell us, I know you're going to think I'm going to be coming back soon, but here, I'm going to be delayed. It's going to be longer than any of you thought about but somewhere in first or second peter it says that jesus is not slow or slack in keeping his promises he says he's just waiting for as many as can to come to repentance and so um, there's no question this is about the second coming of jesus christ and we don't know when that will be but there's other application to this as well because Death is something like a bridegroom Jesus coming as well. And we can apply this to death as well, and it's the same exact thing. That no one knows the day or no one knows the hour and no one knows when our time is up. No one knows when the cancer will come or the medical diagnosis will come next week. And none of us know. And Jesus says, be ready. Be ready. James chapter four something says, uh, "What is your life? It's a mist. It's a mist that happens just for a little bit and was gone. I don't know. Maybe God will grace me. If God graces me, was as long as He graced my dad, I have 18 years to live. You know, when you think about it that way, it doesn't sound very long, does it? I got 18 years left." I don't know how many years I have. I don't know how many years you have. Some of you will live a long time, but some of you won't. Well, Mark, that's kind of, that's a bummer. (laughs) You're being awful pessimistic this morning. No, I'm being a realist. I've lived long enough to know this, and you have too. Now, we can go around our life and pretend this is not true because I don't want to think about those things, Or I can be ready because none of us know when our time will come and if we live in realville we know this is true Um, most of you won't remember this but 27 years ago back in 1990 I was still a basketball coach and I was aware of all things basketball and there was a college in California, Loyola Marymount University, who had a player by the name of Hank Gathers, and he was one of the best players in all of the United States that year, was a candidate for the player of the year, would have been a certain lottery pick in the NBA draft, was a ferocious rebounder, would, would rebound at 20 and 25 rebounds per game, which is an unbelievable amount, and, um, uh, was, and scored in the 20 points as well. So he was a tremendous basketball player player and that year of 1990 everybody who followed college basketball knew the name of Hank Gathers now I know that's 27 years ago and some of you weren't even born yet but you just knew that name but there's a reason a lot of you don't know that name now let's watch this video and find out
0: the Portland game uh just another game in the in our league tournament, and uh... I was at the game with my wife, and and we were in the stands, and Hank was in great spirits. His family was in town. Bo's family was in town, and he was very close to Bo's mom as well. So it was a it was a good time for him.
1: I usually always get to Hank games when I can make them because it was a show that they put on, and you had to be there to get the full effect. Well, this particular game. This particular day, March 4th, 1990, I didn't want to go for some odd reason. Something was just telling me. The game was about to
0: start, so went up and found my mom and my aunt and them in the stands. And,
1: uh, and the pace picked up, and, you know, we were off to a, a terrific running game. Loyola just started running the system. <laughs> So, Terrell throws Hank the Ollie hooper from half-court. He catches it and thunder dunk down. Boom! From the classic, you know, Hank Gathers slam dunk
0: and running back down the court, it's not like we saw
1: signs that he wasn't feeling so well. It just happened A split second. It uh, just happened. Split second. He was dead. That's why you don't know the name of Hank Gathers today. Life is like a light switch. On and off. Be ready. Tomorrow is promised to no one. Young, old, it's promised to no one. We couldn't pronounce his first name, so he told us to call him Timmy. Uh, Timmy was from Lagos, Nigeria, and we had recruited him when I was an assistant coach at Indiana State University, and Timmy Alakaja was on our basketball team, 6'7", 230 pounds, big strapping kid sophomore and um, the head coach was late that day and I was running practice and we got started and we were doing some warm-up stuff and we were ten or minutes into warming up and the coach walked in and so we all kind of gathered at the baseline and and the coach was going to say same things to us and I was kind of the head coach was here and I was kind of here and the team was kind of around us like this and I heard a thud right there. And Timmy dropped down, deader in a door now. Five feet from me. Keep watch. Be ready. You just don't know. Um, four years later? No, a little more than that. Maybe seven years later. Um, 1995, um, I received a phone call in the middle of the night and told me that Kirk Gentrip was dead. Kirk Gentrip, when I, when I was the head coach in Cuyahoga, Indiana high school, Kirk Gentrip was a seventh grader when I got there. And he was one of those kids that at 7 o'clock in the morning would be knocking on your door, Coach, can you open the gym? And uh, Kirk and I, did. A, even though I was a varsity coach, did a, I did a lot of work with a 7th grader because he, he, he could play. He could play. Well, I ended up leaving that school after three years, and, and, uh, but I got a call that uh, from my assistant coach, who was then the head coach, and said, playing left field in a... In a high school baseball game, a lightning bolt hit him right here. Gone. Um, we got some pictures of him up here, Amy. There's a book that was written about him. You know, whatever you hear about, um, you know, you hear people die and they say, oh, he was a great kid, you know, you always say that, Yeah. Every, everything about him: bold print, italicized, underlined. A great kid, straight A student. Da 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 da. Playing a sport that he didn't really want to play, but he was such a good athlete he could do whatever he wanted to do. On a on a day where the cloud, the, the sky was just dark, there was no under, there was no hint of this at all, and all of a sudden, hit the left field fence, ricocheted off the left field fence. I got a couple more that's a picture on his gravestone. And that's the stadium, the the gymnasium's named after him. <laughs> you don't know. Hey young kids, you don't know. Hey middle-aged folks, you don't know. Be ready. Be ready. And though Jesus told this in an illustration of the second coming, there's just no question it's applied to many areas of our lives, and one of them is our own mortality. And we're all thinking the same thing. We're all thinking that we've got many years left. And for most of us, that's probably right. But it won't be for everyone that I'm talking to. It just won't. Now, not only do we need to be ready for our own personal death, there are, as Psalm 23 says, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's lots of valleys that we walk through that may not be our own death. It may be people that are around us in our families and we go through crisis time. It could be that diagnosis that someone in our family gets. It could be the death of a spouse that we had no clue that he had an enlarged heart. It could be an the automobile accident that could happen at any time. And it's, it's, not, it's not ours, it's someone right around us. It's someone that's in our inner circle. It may not be death, it may not be the auto accident, it may not be cancer, it could be divorce. Right out of the blue, you had no clue your son was going to call you and tell you with this news. You had no clue your daughter was going to call you with this news. Loss of a job. Kids way off in a far country spiritually doing all kinds of things that you never ever taught them to do. You don't know when someone else's crisis is going to affect you dramatically. You know, the difference between the five wise versions virgins and the five foolish virgins there was only one difference almost everything was alike they were both excited they were both waiting for the uh, bridegroom to come they wanted to be they were looking forward to his arrival but the only thing that was different between the the five that were wise and the five that were foolish, foolish is the five that were wise got extra oil that's the only thing difference in the parable and, and when they all went to sleep, that's no big deal that they went to sleep. They were waiting for days for this guy to come. So, I mean, you're going you to have to sleep. And when when there was finally announced, the bridegroom comes, the bridegroom comes, and they woke up, there was five that were without because they hadn't brought extra oil. And that there was five that had extra oil. Now, what does the oil mean? Well, we could say, we could speculate. We don't know 100% for sure. We do know that. Many places in Bible, the Bible, uh, the Holy Spirit is referred to as oil. And that maybe that's what Jesus was getting to. I, I guess I can't say that 100 percent authoritatively. What I can say is that when those times in life come, you need to have a deep, personal, intimate, real relationship with Jesus Christ to go through those times. A deep personal relationship. And to get through those times in life when when the husband dies or the wife dies or the kid this or the divorce or the loss of job or whatever crisis comes around to you. A superficial, just waving your ticket to heaven, get out of hell free card type of relationship with Jesus will not do you. You will fall apart just like anyone that was an unbeliever will fall apart. So I encourage you this morning to do something that I've done every single morning that I've been in this pulpit for over six years now. And that's get more oil. Go deeper. Partake deeper of the Holy Spirit. Trust Him more. Go deeper into the waters of His grace. Go head over heels with Jesus Christ. Get more oil. Because when those difficult times come, and they will for all of us, you need that oil of the Holy Spirit. You need that oil of a deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You need that sustaining oil of the presence of Jesus in your life to get you through whatever crisis you're going through. Buy some oil. Get some oil. And in one way or another, I've said that every single Sunday I've been in the pulpit here. Go deeper. Go deeper. Difficult times are coming, something's gonna hit you sooner or later. I don't want you to fall apart. Everybody knows that this could be my last sermon I ever preach. <laughs> I know that. Sue knows that. My boys know that. And if this is the last sermon I ever preach, it'll be hard on them, of course. But you know what? My wife gets up every morning, and at 5:45 she's sitting on that couch, and she's buying more oil. She's reading the scriptures. She's talking to God. And she does that day after day, week after week, year after year. And at almost 50 years of age now for Sue, when crisis will hit for us, she'll deal with it. Oh, she'll grieve. But she will not grieve as those who have no hope. She'll grieve. If this is my last sermon, she'll grieve. But she'll deal with it. Because she's gone deep. And she has a sustaining presence in her life that is more important than me I've been to a lot of funerals you can tell the difference you know between the funeral of a believer and an unbeliever even crisis type funerals and someone died unexpectedly you can tell the difference you can tell the difference, friends. And what's that difference? There's been oil bought. People have a sustaining hope. I was, last weekend, we went to see my aunt in assisted living in Maysville, Kentucky, and we went past my dad's grave, and it's been, I don't know, I probably haven't gone to dad's grave for 10 years, I don't know. And, and we were walking away, and Sue goes, does that bother you? And I said, no, it really doesn't. Now that can be mean or cruel or, or or not compassionate of me, but I know where he is. <laughs> I wish Dad was here. I wish he could see me as the pastor of this church. He'd get a kick out of that. I, I but you know, I know where he is. I wouldn't wish him back here. <laughs> I grieve. But not as those who have no hope. As a pastor, I get called upon every now and then to to help families in crisis crisis times. We get phone calls in the middle of the night. We have to go into situations that are not the easiest in the world. We have to knock on doors and deliver bad news and all that kind of thing. And and don't feel sorry for me. We signed up for that. We knew that was part of the deal when we accepted God's call to this. But every now and then, I'll be asked, in the middle of crisis, I'll be asked to talk to a family member who's not dealing with that well. And I'm expected to do in 30 to 45 to an hour What should have been done day after day, week after week, year after year. I just can't make that up in an hour. You should have discipled your daughter for the last 30 years. And I can't make up in one hour what should have been happening for the last 30 years. be ready and how are you ready according to the scripture you have more oil what does it mean to have more oil the very least it means is to go deeper partake more of the grace of God partake more of God's Holy Spirit let him lead you and guide you more Walk into the waters of God's grace and go head over heel in the waters of God's grace. Be serious. It's not about waving my ticket to heaven. It's not about coming to Sunday school. It's not about just coming to church on Sunday morning. It's not just about being in a group. It's about a real, solid, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One that that brings a tear to the eye. One that you can speak about. One that you just, you know that you know that you know. Get more oil. Go deeper. The time is coming when you're going to go through crisis. And there's nothing that will get you through that crisis except the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Nothing else. There's a bothersome exchange in this story, and I'm not sure if you caught it on the video. Um, The the, the guy comes. The bridegroom comes. The bridegroom comes. All the ten of the virgins wake up. Uh, the, The five foolish realize they don't have any oil. They go over here to the ones that do have extra oil and say, would you give us some of yours? And their response is, there won't be enough for us if I give you some of mine. There won't be enough for both of us. Now that's a bothersome exchange, isn't it? Because I was taught to share as I was a kid, right? But see, Jesus is trying to teach us something. You can't borrow oil from anybody. It has to be yours. You you can't partake of someone else's oil. You can't partake of someone else's relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to have it yourself. And no matter how much a family member would like to give you what they have, it is impossible to do. You have to buy yourself. You have to partake yourself your grandmother may be the godliest woman on the face of this earth. Your wife may be in church every single Sunday and she's committed her life to Christ and, and she's absolutely everything that a Christian wouldn't, uh, sh- should be. But let me tell you, their oil is not yours. You have to buy your own. And you can't live off of anyone else's oil. You go to a good church as part of a good denomination but you can't live off of the church of the Nazarene's oil you're a board member of this church that don't buy you any oil you're a Sunday school teacher in this church that's great thank you for doing that but that doesn't buy you any oil because we can all do all of those things superficially and operate out of our flesh you have to buy your oil yourself And you have to come to grips, whether you're young or whether you're older, you have to come to grips with the lack of oil or an abundance of oil in your life. Well, I've been raised in churches. Great. Thank your parents for that. That's not oil. That's not oil. Well, I I, I listen to Christian music all the time. Great. That's not oil. Because you can do all of those things and still be superficial in your walk with Jesus. I implore you. You know, there's a really important character in the story that's not even mentioned. The, The five foolish have to run off to the seller of oil and buy some more. And me and that seller have a lot in common. We belong to the same union. And just like he sells oil every single Sunday, I'm asking you to buy it as well. Get extra. You never know when the time is coming that you've got to dig deep and pull from deep reservoirs that you've gotten day after day, week after week, year after year. That comes from a close, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ our servers are coming and what we remember when we come to the table is is marvelous we remember the salvation that was gained for us on the cross and we remember that by the taking of the the bread and the cup but you know what the Bible calls Jesus's death (laughs) you know what the book of Hebrews called Jesus's death it calls it the elementary things of the faith. That you must go deeper than just the knowledge that Jesus died for you. You must go deeper than just a superficial knowledge of what the cross is and what Jesus did for you and that you're a sinner and you need forgiveness. The book of Hebrews says, leave the elementary things of the faith. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 The apostle Paul writes to the church that met at Thessalonica looks what he says As for other matters brothers and sisters we instructed you to live in order to please God In fact you're already doing that Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do that more and more deeper and deeper closer and closer I think I don't do anything to that passage of Scripture. Could you put it back up there one more time? I don't think I do anything to that passage of Scripture. And now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to buy more and more oil. It's the parable of the ten virgins. And it says, be ready. You do not know the hour. Or you do not know the day. Father... I pray that you take this message, a sober message, a message that everyone in this, no one has learned anything new today, Father. But there's something about us as humans that things that we've known and known for a while, sometimes we can put them on the back burner. Father, I pray we're reminded today to keep the main thing the main thing. We're reminded today of all the good things that we can do in life. From soccer leagues to piano lessons to swimming teams to all those great and wonderful things we can do in life. None of those things buys oil for us. And may we dig deeper into your grace and grow closer to you and partake more of your Holy Spirit. Help us to be people who are ready in Jesus' name. Amen.